God, we ask for the grace that as we live our lives and encounter struggles and obstacles, that we would remember to look into your eyes and we would be able to find hope in that moment. Sing, when we see you. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Fill the room. When we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. so much for being here this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Hope that you've enjoyed seeing each other and uh, starting a new year with uh, a very cool place to be, Southfield. Today we start a series called The Me That I Want to Be. There's probably a lot of resolutions that are floating around right now that have been made or half made. Throw your hand up if you've decided you've made at least one resolution, you're going to go for it. Okay, how many people are kind of still thinking about maybe they might do a resolution? Throw your hand up if you've given up on resolutions a long time ago. (laughs) Been there, done that. We're using, this is a great time of year to do it. Anytime you turn a page like we have to 2011. And the the series that's going to walk us through the month of January, as well as the series that's going to walk us through all of our adult, uh, all of our journey groups, um, is this series, The Me That I Want to Be. The thing is, is that when you give your life away to somebody, you don't own it anymore, but you still are expected to be responsible for it. That's what you call a steward. And uh, we believe that we are stewards of our lives when we have given our lives to Jesus. So it's not just a a great question to ask, who is the me that I want to be? But it's also a good question to ask, who is the me that God's expecting me to become? And that's something that we want to address this entire month. So we're very excited about what uh, God's going to do in our lives and in our families. And we've got some other stuff going on. That's why we brought the big man up here to make that news. Let me, uh, let me turn the page back again to 2010. We ended the year with the Advent Conspiracy. And one of the things that we were determined to do was exchange uh, consumerism for some real compassion. We told you about a need for a woman in Africa. She uh, had a need for a house. And we said, we're going to take three weeks, we're going to collect money, $5,000, let's build this lady a house. And uh, when we set that out, wasn't really sure what the results were going to be, wasn't sure how that was going to work, and uh, actually was a little nervous that at the end I'd be making up quite a bit of it personally, but that's okay. I wanted this house done, and apparently you did too, because I want to give you an excuse to do what you did last week. You practiced clapping. Well, you're going to be able to clap today because of your generosity. We've collected $9,937. That's amazing. That's amazing. So if you planned on giving today, it's okay to do that. We're going to make sure that she has a house, that her kids are scholarship to go to high school, and that her family is well taken care of. Great job. San, let's go. 
God, before we live this year out, we wanted to give it to you and tell you that it's yours. We recognize that you reign and we don't want to be caught living our lives as, as if you don't. Lord, be the center of every decision that we make. We love you and we love that we know you, God who reigns. In your name we pray. God, you reign. God, you reign. Forever and ever. God, you reign. I was going to ask you a question. Who did you want to be when you grew up? Who did you want to be when you grew up? You know what's funny? Some of you are saying, I wanted to be a garbage man. I wanted to be a fire lady. I wanted to be, I wanted to style hair. And, I, and I'm going, okay, that's a neat answer. But I asked you, who did you want to be when you grew up? Not what did you want to be when you grew up. Who did you want to be when you grew up? Who did you want to be in character? Who did you want to be in disposition? Who did you want to be in reputation? Who did you want to be when you grew up? Now, the funny thing is, even when I ask that, you don't answer the question directly. Because what you do is start to say, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to be angry like my dad. I didn't want to be controlling like my mom. I promised I would never be that way. I didn't want to be like my uncle who was addicted to substances. I didn't want to live that way. I didn't want my marriage to end in divorce the way my parents Marriage ended in divorce. I don't want to be that. But the funny thing is I'm still asking you, who did you want to be? Not who didn't you want to be, but who did you want to be uh, when you grew up? Now let me take it a step further. And this one, I, I want you to answer a question, but I don't want you to raise your hand. You're raising your hand on the inside, okay? If I ask you right now, who do you want to be right now? Would your answer be, anybody but me? I just hate being me. I wish I could have anyone else's life. I, I wish I could be anybody other than the person that I am right now. Well, there are two things that we want to do in this series, two things I hope to accomplish. One is to help you to do this, to fully embrace the me God made you to be. And we want to help you to be able to answer positively, this is who I want to be, not this is who I don't want to be. And then to fully embrace that, to say, yes, I am thrilled to be who God made me to be. Now, I'm going to help you to cheat on the test a little bit. If I ask that question again, here's the answer. Who do you want to be? The answer is, I want to fully embrace the me God made me to be. Or another way to put it, I want to be God's best version of me. I don't want to be someone else. I want to be God's best version of me. And that's it. That's the me I want to be. I'm going to share a verse with you from the Bible. It's found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2 and verse 10. In that verse, we learn some things about ourselves. The Bible says we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. There are three things we learn from this verse about us. First of all, every person in this room is God's masterpiece, a one-of-a-kind work of art. You are not mass-produced. There aren't 25,000 just like you in another country or another state or somewhere else. You are God's 
handcrafted masterpiece, one of a kind, and he wants you to fully live that out. Second, this verse tells us he created us anew in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? If you're a believer in Christ, if you're a devoted Christ follower, he made you new. He took what was broken and made you new. Now, here's what you need to understand. He didn't replace or exchange you. You're still you. You were created as the person God intended, but you had sin in your life that distorted the image of God, distorted who God wanted you to be. And in Christ, we are created anew. And then finally, it says, so we can do good things he planned for us long ago. This is amazing. My niece was born two weeks ago. Her name is Emily. Before Emily took her first breath, God already had plans for her life. Before Emily was born into this world, God already knew the good things he plans for her in this life. And the same is true for every person in this room. God has plans for you, good plans for you that he wants you to fulfill. God planned long, long time ago that you as an individual would be involved in helping a lady named Rachel in Africa build a house. That wasn't your idea. That wasn't my idea. That was God's idea before we were even born. He created us to do good things that he planned long, long ago. For a lot of us, we still find ourselves saying, but I'd rather be someone else. I'd rather be more extroverted, more talented. I'd like to play an instrument or be able to sing. We ding ourselves for being too melancholic or too excited or too quick to speak or not quick enough to speak up. We see someone else who we believe is operating on all eight spiritual cylinders and we say, I want to be just like them. And so we try to do all the things they do. We ask them, when do you read the Bible? Three o'clock in the morning. And so we wake up to read the Bible at three o'clock in the morning. We fall asleep. When do you pray? Five o'clock in the morning. And so we do the five o'clock in the morning and we fall asleep again. We're going, I can never, I can never grow spiritually. I can't do what other people do. We try to mimic them. The problem is we're us. We're not them. We try so hard to be someone else. But you know what we do when we do that? We rip off the body of Christ. We really do. Because God created you to be you in this place, not someone else. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the fact that sometimes we'll get this kind of jealousy thing going where we think, I'd like to be a different part of the body. I'd like to have someone else's role. I would like to be someone else. And and Paul actually has some fun with it and says, what if the body were just one giant eye or one giant foot? That's not a body. That's a body part. God created all of us to fit together, and he wants all the pieces of the puzzle, not just certain pieces of the puzzle, all the pieces of the puzzle, in order to do the great thing he intends. In his book, John Orberg talks about some of the other me's in our life. We're going to show a video clip, but in interest of time, I'm going to just run through the me's that he talks about. And I promise you, as I turn the slides, there's going to be a little glitch. That's okay, don't worry. Some of the other me's, I promise you, some, for some of us this morning, there's a me we pretend to be. We're putting on a pretty good front. We're not letting other people know what's really going on. You know why? If other people really knew, they'd reject us. And so we pretend. We even spiritually pretend. We put on Sunday face and Sunday, you know, the Sunday look. But I'll tell you what, there's a transformation there for so many people that takes place from inside the car to the walk into the building. And it reverts as soon as they walk back out. There's a me we pretend to be. How about the me I think I should be? That word should is a killer, isn't it? 
My word, you talk to some people, I should do this, I should do that, oh, I should be doing this. And it just mounds on guilt as we think about all the shoulds we should do in our lives. How about this one, the me other people want me to be. Anybody else have an agenda for your life? I have people that have an agenda for my life. And I promise you, you have people that have an agenda for your life. And you live trying to fulfill their agenda and it makes you crazy. How about this one, the me I'm afraid God wants me to be. And what if I just have to get all all spiritual and pastor-like? Because after all, it's a scary life being all spiritual and pastor-like, isn't it? What if I have to go around all the time quoting Bible verses? Is that what God intends of me? Does God intend for me to go build Rachel's house and live in Africa? Is that what God... And so we're afraid to be the person we think God wants us to be. How about this one? The me that fails to be. Any of you have dreams for your life? And you look at the reality piece right now and you go, wow, the two are so far off. They are so far off. There's a study of children in kindergarten. Guy walks in and says, how many of you are an artist? And everybody wings up their hands. Me, I'm an artist, I'm an artist, I'm an artist. You know, by third grade, half the hands go up. Anybody ever tell you, you, you thought you had a gift and somebody said, oh, no, no, honey, no. Hey, you're not a singer. You just, you just, and now you stand in church and when the singing going on, you want to burst, but inside you're still here. That second grade music teacher saying, oh, no, no, honey, don't do that to the people around you. You just stop that. There's a me that we dream of being that we fail to be. But finally, there's a me that we're meant to be. A me that we're meant to be. A me God wants us to be. The very best version of you. Not someone else. The very best version of you. Let me just click through this really quick. That's John. Hi, John. How do we become that best version? How do we become that person? Well, the process is called spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is a process by which your inner self and character are shaped. God wants to shape you into the person he desires and uses spiritual formation to do that. How does it work? How do we become that person? Well, the first thing that we need to do is flow with the Spirit. We need to, we need to just flow with the Spirit. Life change does not take place by self-effort. Don't get that in your mind, that somehow you're going to try hard enough and your life is going to finally change. I know about you, when I try harder, that's usually when things break. If I'm trying to make something, I'm putting something together, and I think, just a little more force, just a, oh, man, now i got to go buy a new one. Here we go again. Life change doesn't take place simply by self-effort. God does not teach self-help any more than he teaches self-grace or self-salvation. It's not the way it works. God's plan is not for you to just be saved by grace. It's to live by grace. We need help. We need external power to change. We can't do it all in ourselves. How many of you, this is a hand up one, how many of you have ever gone water skiing? Even poorly, you've done it. You flopped across the water. Good job. All right. Those of you that are skiers, would you have ever considered skiing behind a rowboat? You might have thought of it as a joke, but did you think about skiing behind a rowboat? 
uh, you, you know it's not going to happen, right? It's just not going to happen. No matter how much that person tries to row, they're not going to get enough speed going to get you up out of the water. Let me ask you, pros, a second question. When you're water skiing, who does the work, you or the boat? How you doing, church? You there? Who does the work? You or the boat? Uh, some of you are having trouble answering because you're going, hey, I'm the one that hurt the next day. <laughs> when the boat? You know, it really, it is kind of a trick question because it's not just the boat. You've got to hold on to the rope for dear life. And you've got to get your legs up. There are some things you do, but you don't provide the power to ski. The boat provides the power. Now, the cool thing is, if you have a capable driver... And if they're going at the right speed, you can do amazing things on the water. I mean, I've skipped across the water like a rock. It's one of the ugliest things to watch. I would never be at Cypress Gardens. I ski like this the whole time, and I'm just holding on. Don't want to fall. But you can do, I've watched people do amazing things skiing when the power is right. If you cooperate with the power of the boat, you can do some amazing stuff. That's the picture of life in the Spirit. You're not doing the work, but you're holding on to the rope for dear life. And you know what? As you get better and better at it, you can actually look pretty amazing when you're skiing. Let me show you this verse from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Here's what Paul says. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever seen somebody that is really, really, really really drunk. I mean, I'm not just talking about a little tipsy, but they are all out totally under the influence. We were at Wrigley Field one day and there were two guys. I was literally scared for their life as I was watching them walk out of the place. They were 100% controlled by all of the alcohol that they drank on that particular day. Do you know, that's the picture that Paul gives us of what it means to be controlled by the spirit. We're so controlled by the Spirit's influence that everything we do is affected by it, totally and completely. Just like a person is totally and completely impacted by alcohol or a substance, we are supposed to be totally and completely impacted by the presence of the Spirit. Look at the last start. It says, instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what the verse does not say? Fill yourself with the Holy Spirit. There's nothing in this verse that says you're the one doing the work of filling yourself. There's nothing that I do. It's, it's passive in the same sense as skiing by home, behind the boat is passive. The boat is doing all the work. I'm just holding on to the rope. Being filled with the Spirit is spiritually just holding on to the rope while the Spirit is doing the work. Now, there is something the Bible says. It says that we can grieve the Spirit and it says that we can quench the Spirit. What does that mean? We can pull the plug. We can decide we're not going to cooperate with the Spirit, and in light of that, we don't have the Spirit's power. If you've ever been involved in teaching someone how to ski, it's amazing how a person understands the way they think it should work, and no matter how much you explain to them, this is what you've got to do, until they get up for the first time. They try and try and try and try and fail. When we grieve the Spirit, when we quench the Spirit, we're trying to do it all on our own. And the Spirit's saying, if you just cooperate with me, if you just go along, if you just stop sinning against me, if you would just agree that the plan that God has for your life is a good plan, 
and you'd live it out. If you just live out what the Word of God says, instead of trying to make your own way, it could be amazing what your life would become. You'll become God's best version of you as you live in the flow of the Spirit. Let me give you a second thing that we need to do. Every one of us needs to find out how we grow. How do you grow? What does it look like when you grow? When, when David went off to fight against the giant Goliath, King Saul said, you're going to need some weapons and some protection. And so Saul handed him his armor and his sword. Little problem. David is this kid. Saul is this middle-aged king. And he hands him the armor. It's too big. And the sword is too heavy. And David says, hey, if this battle's going to be won, I've got to do it the way I know best. He took his sling and the protection of God, and that was it, and went out and killed the giant. He couldn't do it Saul's way. He had to do it his way, the way he was wired, the way he was designed. You know the problem for most of us when it comes to spiritual growth? We, we want to grow someone else's way. We short-circuit the process because we try to grow someone else's way. I love this line from Ortberg's book. He says, spiritual growth is handcrafted, not mass-produced. God does not do one-size-fits-all. This is the great weakness of American Christianity. We want to mechanize and mass-produce everything. We turn spiritual growth into an assembly line process instead of an individualized, handcrafted, one-of-a-kind encounter with God. The main measure of your devotion to God is not your devotional life. It's simply your life. What does your life look like? See, the truth is you're you're uniquely wired. Your growth track is also unique. If I told you what I do to grow spiritually, for some of you it would work because you're wired similarly to me. And for others of you, it would not work at all. For example, one of the things you need to know is you need to know how you learn. What's the best way for you to learn? Do you learn by reading? Do you learn by listening? Do you learn by seeing? Do you learn by doing? Do you learn by sitting in a classroom? What's your best way to learn? When I get together with a group of guys and I say, we're going to try to learn, one of the things I usually recommend is say, we're all going to read this book together. It always makes me laugh because most of the guys kind of politely giggle and they say, you know, guys don't giggle, laugh. They politely laugh, ha, ha, ha. And they say, uh, I haven't read a book since high school. And then when they're really truthful, they say, I didn't read those either. So, you know, they just don't read. So guess what? Guys that don't read can't grow spiritually. That's it, overdone. Really? No. God uses different things to grow different people. I love sitting in a classroom. I love learning in a classroom. That's the way I grow. For someone else, you grow when you listen. That's what works for you. You've got to know how you learn. Here's another thing. You need to know your temperament. How are you wired? What kind of person are you? Do you tend to be more extroverted or introverted? And by that, we're not saying you like people or don't like people. It really comes down to this. When you're with people, is that energizing? Or when you're alone, is that energizing? Which works for you? We're not all wired the same way. You need to know your temperament. Further, you need to know how you best connect with God. For some of you, Sunday morning is the pinnacle of worship for you. You love to sing. We all know it. We sit by you. You love to sing. You love to have your hands in the air. You love this experience. Others of you are going, I just don't get it. 
I don't get it. This, I, I just, I'd just rather sit and listen the whole time. Or I'd rather be walking in the woods. Or I'd rather be reading a book. Because the truth is, every one of us has a different way that we connect with God best. Give me a mountain, man, I, I'm connected to God. I just, there are certain, nature helps me to connect to God. How about this one? You need to know your signature sin. Oh my word, that's odd. What do you mean? Do you know that every one of us have an area of our lives that we're weaker than any other area? And it's not the same for all of us. There are areas that you are tempted that I am not. I promise you. There are things that that I find myself saying, I want to do that. And you would go, really? That's kind of dumb. We all have an area of weakness where we are weak. And God wants us to know that so that we can fight against it. So that we can work with the Spirit to get beyond that. We also need to know the stage of our spiritual development, the season of our life. It is possible that when you were a new believer, there were things that you did that really helped you to grow. And now you're in kind of a languishing, stagnant point and you think, I just need to go back and do what I did when I started. Well, you know what? That worked when you started, but it's not necessarily going to work now. There's something else now that you need that helps you to grow further. What we hope to do in this series and in the groups is help you to discover these things and get you tracking in a way that you can start to experience growth, not as the pastor force feeds you or something like that, but you can be doing growth on your own. Let me give you the next part of this. Every one of us need to fully surrender. We need to fully surrender if we're going to become the me God wants us to be. Alcoholics Anonymous is a program that has helped millions of people break through one of humanity's most powerful addictions, alcohol. It's an incredible program. I got to go to an AA meeting at one time. I had a friend who was celebrating his 13th year of sobriety. And it was a great night to be able to be there and celebrate that with him. It's an interesting thing about this program. Most of you know it as 12 steps. Not one of the steps says, now decide to stop drinking. That's it. It doesn't say, try really hard to stop drinking. Instead, you know what people are told? Mobilize, not to mobilize their wills, but to surrender their will. Surrender your will. Surrender your will to God. Surrender your will to someone other than you. The key to spiritual surrender is very simple. Here it is. There is a God and it's not me. There is a God and it's not me. That's it. I'm not God. You're like, well, of course you're not. I am. No, I'm saying you're not God either. We're not. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. The greater fool looks in the mirror and says, there he is. I'm not God. I can't control my way out of this. I can't fix everything. I am not God. Surrender is giving up control. But many of us want to maintain control. And you know what? Many of us even go further. We try to control God. We got into a relationship with God, not because we wanted to be used by God, but truthfully because we wanted to use him. We saw God as kind of the genie in the lamp. Rub three times, get three wishes. We saw God as the lucky rabbit's foot or a charm. If I just hold this, he'll keep me secure. He'll keep me safe. He'll make me successful. That's not what a relationship with God is about. Jesus did not come to rearrange the outside of your life in the way you want it. He came to rearrange the inside of your life the way God wants it. 
A relationship with God is about Him helping you become who He wants you to be. Not Him being used by us to become what we want to be. There is no way for a human to come to God that does not involve total surrender. Surrender is saying, you are God, I am not. And let me give you the final one. If we're going to become the me we want to be, we've got to fight softer. We've got to fight softer. We've got to try softer. When I'm stuck, no matter what realm of life, when I'm stuck, my natural propensity is to do this. I, get, I just got to try harder. If I try harder, I'll get out of this mess. And a lot of times when I try harder, that's when the mess gets worse. What every one of us need to do is try softer. You see, when we try harder, what happens? We get focused on us. We get self-consumed, self-absorbed, focusing on our effort, on our accomplishments, rather than allowing God to do the work through us. I want to show you this quadrant over here. It's pretty cool. This was from the book. He talks about people having um, problems and issues and frustrations in their life. When we have a problem in our life, we start, generally we start down here. We're unaware that we have a problem and, the, and we're not competent in knowing how to fix it. I don't even know I have a problem. The, the line here may be ignorance is bliss. You know, this person doesn't have a clue that they have a problem and they don't have a clue on how to get out of the problem. You know what this person needs? They need pain. They need conflict. They need cognitive dissonance. They need something that causes them to say, life is a mess and I need to get out of this. And if they don't get out of it, it's going to lead to disaster. So this person grows. Someone helps them to say, man, you got a problem. Now they're aware that they have a problem, but they have no idea how to fix it. You've been there. You know you're a mess. You know you're stuck and you're going, and I don't know what to do. What this person needs more than anything else is hope. They need hope. They need the answer. Because if not, they are going to get stuck in despair. And they're going to give up. They're going to say, no matter how much I try, it's not working. I'm stuck. I just, I'm throwing up my hands. I'm done. So then what happens? We move over. We move over to here, which you'd think is a great place. Competent and aware. I'm competent and aware. A lot of people today are competent and aware. It's January 2nd. You're in the second day of your diet. And you've thought about it every minute you've been sitting here. I am so hungry. I'm so glad they don't have food in church. Oh, wait, they have communion. Oh, good. I can't wait till communion. It's a little. It won't hurt. It won't count against my calories. Uh, Competent and aware is the alcoholic who is saying, I have been sober for 27 hours and 13 minutes and 29 seconds. 30, 31, 32. That's competent and aware. And and I don't know about you. When I'm in this area, this makes me nuts. When I'm going along, I know I have a problem. I know the fix. And I'm just aware of it all the time. All the time I'm thinking about it. The only thing that's going to fix this is time and practice. You need time and practice. And here's the problem in this area. Pride. Because when we're competent and we're aware, you know what we do? We judge everybody else who goes to McDonald's. We look at them and say, you shouldn't be eating that. You shouldn't be smoking that. You shouldn't be doing that. And we find ourselves pointing at everybody else because now we are the masters, right? We've figured it out. Where we want to get is competent and unaware. This is a great state. 
This is where you're just saying, somebody says to you, why do you do that? And you go, well, I just do it. I don't know. I just do it. It's become second nature. It's just part of who you are. It's part of the way you work. It's part of the way your life happens. That's where we want to get spiritually. Now, the thing you got to know about this, when you get here, this is a great place. But you're probably only here in one or two areas of your life. I got news for you. You arrived here, but there's some area that you're over here. You're not aware. You're clueless. You're just happy, happy, happy. And someone says, oh, you got a problem. You go, oh, no, here I go all over again. This is what next steps are all about. There's always some area that you're hopefully mastering, and there's always some area that you're a total mess. And God gets to keep saying, I got the boat, grab the rope, Let's get on. Let's go for a ride. Because God wants you to become the very best version of you that he created you to be. I hope you know by now, this church does not exist. So you can have a nice religious experience every Sunday you decide to show up. That's not why we're here. I truly believe we're here to help you to become God's best version of you. That's why we're undertaking this study. And I want to challenge you in it. I want to really challenge you. I want to push you. You see, that's why I believe God put me here. God didn't put me here in this place to help you to be comfortable. God put me here to help you to grow, to help you to be different. This isn't Mamby Pamby Community Church. Okay? That's not our name. Though it would be an interesting name and it would draw some attention, I'm sure. We're Southfield. Simply life-changing. It's about life-changing. It's about seeing you take next steps. That's it. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that we will have the all-out desire, the all-out desire to say, I am not content to be stuck where I am. I don't want to be someone else. I want to be the best possible version of me. Help me to get there, God. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. As we chew on that, we're going to have a moment for communion to remember our anchor for this whole transformation process. started when Jesus gave his life for us, and then he rose from the dead. Ask our servers to come forward and ask you to pray with me. Father God, as we, as we uh, spend a moment to reflect uh, again on why any hope of transformation is possible, Lord, we ask um, going forward from these moments that you would show us how it works in our lives, um, each individually, how we can learn to fight more softly and depend more fully on what your spirit is doing in our lives with the, with the wretched and ugly parts of, of us and of our hearts. We pray that you would teach us how to surrender. And pray these things in your name. Amen. On the back side of your Southfield card, there are some commitments that you can make today. Commitments to your growth. One of them I don't have... Uh, here for you to check off, but I'd like you to write. And that's the first one to say, hey, I'm going to be here every Sunday this January. No skipping. I'm going to be here. The second one, I'll get this book, The Me I Want to Be, and I'm going to read it. The third one, I'm going to join one of these four-week small groups. This is four weeks of a journey group. That's it. 
to be able to get together with other people who love God, who want to see change take, play, take place. Don't worry. We don't make you admit all your deepest, darkest sins the first night or even the second night for that matter. It's just a chance to be able to share and grow, talk about what we've talked about on Sunday morning, talk about what you're learning in the process. So you can do that today. There's a table at the back. Uh, Carrie Kristoff is standing back there, and she'll help you to actually get registered today for a group. And then the final one is just a general commitment. I'm ready to do what it takes to get growing. I'm not going to look at my life a year from now and say, same old stuff, nothing's changed. I'm ready to do what it takes to get growing. Uh, Fill out those commitments. Our ushers are coming right now. They'll receive your offering. And you can place your card in there as well. And I just want to remind you again on the the offering for Rachel and for her family, I'm just absolutely blown away by your generosity. It's been great. We wondered what we would do if we received too much, and we ultimately decided there's never too much when you're trying to help somebody uh, who's a widow and who needs help. So like I said at the beginning of the service, one of the things that we'll be able to do in the money that goes beyond the house is to be able to provide uh, scholarships for her children. Uh, They have to pay to go to high school. So a lot of their kids do not go to high school. So we get to do that and do some other things that will be made possible for her and in a sense being able to, to serve as a, as a father uh, to, to their family. And we're just grateful again for your part in that. I wanted to share a couple of personal things uh, before we leave this morning. One, I wanted to thank all of you who sent cards and Facebook comments and everything else uh, in celebration of our anniversary this past week. Kim and I made it to 25 years, halfway to gold. That's good stuff. We're excited about that. I, uh, I could not ask for a better life partner in all the universe. She is fantastic. She is taken. Don't even try. So um, I love her, and I'm glad to be able to share my life in serving with her. And the other part of our life that got a little messy this week as we were on our way to, to celebrate our time uh, down in St. Louis, we found out that my sister-in-law, who lives in Springfield, was in a car accident, and uh, she and her husband hit some ice, hit a guardrail, sheared off the side of their van, and uh, he's fine, but she has a, a leg that is... Uh, a couple of breaks in her hip, a couple of breaks in her femur from her knee down is shattered, and she will be having four surgeries this coming week to work on the bottom part of her leg, the part that makes things complicated and yet uh, kind of cool. I'll tell you why all at the same time. They have a two-week-old baby. They just had a baby, and you say, wow, what a time for a baby. The baby was due two days after the accident. So um, those of you that think God doesn't look out and God doesn't care, guess what? God knows exactly what he's doing. And though we can point to a broken leg and 12 weeks of recovery and honestly a leg that will never work quite right ever again, we are absolutely grateful for all the ways that God, you know, just a few inches shy of that, they could have gone off basically a cliff and down a ravine. Uh, God and his angels were there every step of the way. And we're grateful for that. So uh, be praying for Katie. Be praying for our family. Kim's going to be down there, so we're not going to be eating. which won't be all bad. So let's stand. Pray with me. Now, Father, we commit this new year to you. It's yours. I'm grateful for the way that you have used us in the past. I'm grateful for the way that you've used this family to provide Rachel a house. And God, it's just the beginning. We want to be used greatly by you. We want to be the very best version of me that we can be. 
And that's not just as individuals, but we want that as a church too. We want to reach our full redemptive potential and have every last bit of it spent. We love you, God, and we thank you for allowing us to be part of your family and to be used by you mightily. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.